Well, it's great to be with you and uh, share this morning from God's Word. I'll be speaking on part two of the message that Pastor Lee started last week on the Good Samaritan. Partway through the week, I got nervous because, I don't know, do you, how many of you remember the old camp song, ate a peanut, ate a peanut, ate a peanut last night? It was rotten, ate it anyway. Well, on Thursday afternoon, I ate a few peanuts and drank some water that had been in my truck for, my wife's truck for quite a while. And uh, all of a sudden, I could feel it. Something was wrong. And I had food poisoning. And uh, Pastor Chris said someone shared with him, food poisoning is where for the first half hour, you think you're going to die. And then for the next hours after that, you wish you would die. (laughs) And I had uh, cramps and burning and cold sweats from two in the afternoon till finally six o'clock in the morning I was able to throw up and, uh, and clear things out and start feeling better. So it left me very weak and uh, exhausted and so I hope I am able to stay standing through this. Um, it reminded me of another time in our family when we were all throwing up and it was one of those times when you have the flu and three kids, three children under the age of five, all throwing up, and the parents throwing up, and no one left to help anyone. Um, And it was there that my neighbor, Emily Bevilacqua, came over to our house, and she brought us chicken soup, and she washed our sheets, and she cleaned the toilet. And that was when I found out what a neighbor being a good neighbor really meant. Today I'd like to talk about being a good neighbor. In the story of the Good Samaritan, it ends with go and do likewise. Who was the one who was a neighbor, the one who showed mercy? And our pastor said, God desires mercy, not sacrifice. A while ago, a book was written called The Art of Neighboring. And um, the fellows that wrote the book start off with this. Once upon a time, people knew their neighbors. They talked to them, had cookouts with them, went to church with them. In our time of unprecedented mobility and increasing isolationism, it's hard to make lasting connections with those who live right outside our front door. Let's pray that God would help us to do likewise. Dear Lord God, we pray that as we look at your word today and as we look at the practicalities of working out those commands you've given us, Father, that in my weakness, the strength of your spirit, the strength of your word would um, be present with those of us that are here and those who are watching online, that you would shape our hearts that you would teach us what it means to love our neighbor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As the quote says, there's all kinds of hindrances nowadays to getting to know your neighbors and to being neighbors. There's social differences. People just do things differently. It used to be you could talk to your neighbor and start with some small talk where you find some commonality. Hey, how about the game last night? Today, your neighbor may be saying, last night, the cricket game's still on. It goes for three days. Oh, I meant the Blue Jays. And all of a sudden, we feel like maybe we don't know each other that well. 
It used to be weather and sports were an easy connection. Now, weather is about the only thing we have in common as Canadians. Oftentimes, we have in common our journey. How long have you been here? Where'd you come from? Where's life taken you? And that's actually a great place to talk. But we have social differences, economic differences. Just because we live in the same neighborhood doesn't mean we're in the same social scale these days. We have cultural differences and religious differences. I remember my in-laws, they had a home in Ancaster and Meadowlands. It was out in the country. They were all alone. And slowly, everything got built up around them. And then their neighbors behind them, researchers at McMaster, invited them over for an Eid celebration. And they had wonderful Bangladeshi food. And they had no clue what was going on. Cultural, religious differences make it hard for us to know how to start being with our neighbors. We have time commitments. We leave early in the morning, come back late at night. We wave to our neighbor as we drive into the garage. The remote closes behind us. And it becomes our castle, our refuge. And we hide in front of the TV. Family. Because of time pressures, family has become so important. We try to make time for the family. We talk about the family being the foundation of society. Well, actually, neighborhoods are part of the foundation of society, too. You know, when I'm in trouble, I call my kids. They live 20 minutes away. Why don't I call my neighbor? They're right next door. My friend Lawrence Karmakar uh, came from Bangladesh, and uh, one day he invited me to his birthday, and we went to his birthday party as a family, and there was his pastor and family, us, his family, and his neighbors. I thought, wow, that's cool. How come we don't invite our neighbors to our birthday parties? Because we've become so wrapped up in family. I remember when we started up again doing friendship families for our international student ministry, uh, I remember I put Kim on the spot one day and said, hey, are you going to have a, a family over for Christmas? And she's like, oh, I'll have to check with my mother-in-law. <laughs> and we made a little switch. We said, hey, why don't you have people over on the week of Christmas, any day? And it was amazing how many more people were able to get involved because we took away that pressure of family commitments and moved beyond that. As a church, we struggle with being good neighbors, too. We're sort of isolated here. We have a lot of programs going on, but we actually have a neighborhood around the church that God has called us to be engaged with and to love. I'm so excited to see the progress we're making as a church, where things are moving to where we become that community hub again that the church used to be in olden days before they had community centers. We have a beautiful facility that can become the hub of the neighborhood. We see in our summer camps that a huge proportion of our kids now are from outside the church and many from our neighborhood and from no church at all. That's the way it should be. We see our community gardens out back where people from the neighborhood are actually, you know, working on their food security or getting out of the house and spending time together as neighbors. 
And we have other programs that are starting to reach out to our neighborhood. I mentioned the International Students Ministry. These are folks that are without neighbors because they've come to a new country. And at least 70 of our congregation have been involved in either hosting as friendship families or doing career mentoring or sports night as young adults. Making neighbors of those who are culturally different, who came from a different place and are looking for that connection. God calls us individually and as a church to love our neighbors. I would love to see a farmer's market on our, dry, on our parking lot one of these years so the neighbors can come and enjoy fresh food. A lot of our neighbors here are in townhouse communities where they're not allowed to have a garage sale. Why not set up one day a community garage sale on our north parking lot and allow people to come out, interact with each other, and get to know each other? My prayer has always been that that little sidewalk that has gone in from the street to our parking lot would become busy as the neighborhood starts finding this church a place where they can meet other neighbors. I'd like to share with you today a simple rhythm of life that I've found to be such a blessing. It's based on the ministry of a church in Chicago, and they use a model called BLESS. Live the blessed lifestyle. God has called us to be a blessing to those around us. Blessed to be a blessing. So two books if you want to follow up. One, The Art of Neighboring, where the first quote was from, that came out of a project in Denver where the city asked the churches to see if they could work together to strengthen neighborhoods. And they arranged block parties in every neighborhood of the city, hosted by the churches and the city officials to get neighbors to know each other because that's how communities are strengthened. That's how communities become more safe. That's how people are taken care of and don't fall through the cracks. The second book, Bless, is from the church in Chicago that has just you know, turned their whole ministry upside down and said, look, we've been blessed to be a blessing and there's simple rhythms of life that can help us recapture the art of neighboring. We're socially handicapped in our society because of the individualism, because of the isolationism, because our home is our castle. A man from India once told me, he says, I noticed in India we have walls around our home, but here you seem to have walls around your heart. I thought, wow, there's a powerful indictment. But it's the reality of the struggles in our society. Bless is a simple way of life, simple to remember, and if you'd like, I've got a booklet that you can pick up from the office. There's bookmarks at the back, and uh, I'd highly recommend the book itself um, by the Ferguson brothers. B is for begin with prayer. Pray for those in your neighborhood. Pray for a blessing on the city, it tells us. Pray for those around you. We started a prayer walk. You didn't know it was the first letter of the BLESS model. <laughs> but as you pray, are you praying for your neighbors that God would bless them, that things would go well for them, that you would come to know them, and that they would come to know um, the love of God? I like to pray for my neighbors, both that I would get a chance to know them, to understand them, 
And then I also try to imagine what it would be like for them if they came to know Jesus. I know a lot of the people in our neighborhood, they wouldn't fit in in West Highland here. It would be awkward for them. Culturally, it'd just be too different. And so I pray, God, already now be preparing a place where they can connect in Christian community if they come to know you. The book, The Art of Neighboring, says just look around your house. There's probably eight homes that touch your property or are across from you. And just start with those. In the blessed model, it talks about picking people that you work with, family and friends or schoolmates and neighbors. And just pray that God would put some on your heart and begin praying that you would have opportunity to get to know them, to love them, and to walk with them. Second is L, listen. It was amazing in South Africa after apartheid, the truth and reconciliation, and we've got a lot of talk going about that in Canada now too. But one of the key things they did in the truth and reconciliation in South Africa was got people together to listen to each other's stories across political and racial divides to sit down, instead of arguing politics, to listen to each other's story. And it's amazing the love and compassion that comes when you go beyond the politics and you see the person and you hear their journey. Take time to listen. I love this little picture of the guy listening. I can do that. For some of us, it's harder than others to shut up and listen. It's a joke. Um, if two preachers are having a conversation, who's listening? Yeah, thank you. I'll be here for another 20 minutes. After you listen, eat. Eat with your neighbors. Eating, Jesus ate with people, and it was a scandal. Why? Because when you eat with people, you identify. You identify your humanity. You share the basic necessities of life. You honor each other, and you have true fellowship. And so many of our neighbors wonder what it would be like to have fellowship with us because it happens so rarely. Even when we come to the table for communion, we don't do it in a biblical way. Biblically, it was a meal that people shared together. And in that meal, they remembered Christ. We come, and instead of having communion with each other, we ignore each other, focus on God and ourselves, and then walk away. There's power in sharing a meal together. And God calls us to do that. There's a big difference between hospitality when you eat and entertainment. Our traditional society has been a society where if you invite someone over, you entertain, you make sure everything is perfect. That becomes awkward. There's a fable from the Middle East that talks about a man who visited a friend in another city and the friend put out the best food for him all the time, gave him the master bedroom, he slept with his kids, and just did everything to the nines. After a couple weeks, the man left and went back home. Then some months later, the other man reciprocated and visited his friend in his city. This time, it was different. He came into the man's home, and the man didn't give him the best bed. He just gave him a little cot in the, in the vestibule, a little guest spot just shared normal meals with the family, nothing fancy. And after a few days, the first man said, look, when you came to my house, I gave you all the best. Why 
are you just not treating me the same way? The first man said, well, I sure appreciated what you did for me when I came to your house, but after a couple weeks, I realized I had to leave or you were going to go broke and your marriage was going to split up. But you're part of our family and you can stay as long as you want. A wonderful picture of the difference between entertainment and hospitality. We have a saying in our family when we have people over, the first day you're a guest, the second time you're family, and you help with the dishes. And folks actually really enjoy that. They feel a part of it. Our international students, they feel like instead of just being a guest who's being served, they can help with the meal, they can help with cleanup, and it loosens up and it becomes an equal relationship where we share with each other. It took us a while to learn this. In Africa, we would have people over and they never invited us back. Well, we had a big, nice house. They lived in a mud hut. They said, we can't do that. And so by accident, we learned that we actually had to go visit them. Later, I read an article about the art of hospitality, African style, and I realized, oh, at the beginning, I had it all wrong. When you visit in an African home, they'll kill a chicken, start dinner, send a child down to get pop, and you'll sit and chat, and you'll be part of the family for the evening. But it cements you together for life because you honored someone by being in their home. Jesus went to Zacchaeus and said, I'm coming to your house for dinner. Well, that's weird, eh? But it, in most cultures, that's actually honoring. So in the booklet, I give some suggestions on how to eat together. Go with a co-worker for coffee. Go out for lunch together. Invite someone over to your house. One of my um, parishioners in Milton said, you know, I invited people over and they felt kind of awkward coming into my house. I said, well, next time just have the meal outside. Do a barbecue. It's less intimidating. And why not invite your other neighbors so it's not so intense? And so that's what they did. I usually ask folks if they're from another culture because I love food. I say, what's the best place to get your culture's food in the city? And they'll either tell me a restaurant and I'll say, hey, can we go there together? I'd love to treat you and you show me your culture's food. And we do that. Or they'll say, my wife actually cooks the best Afghani food in the city. Come to my house and then it's even better. We have a great time together. So getting past our own cultural hang-ups on what it looks like to eat together. And many of you are from hospitality-based cultures that it comes naturally. But some of you may wonder why some of your traditional Canadian neighbors are so awkward when it comes to that. Just push through. Push through. <laughs> Invite them over. Go to their place. Learn to eat together and honor each other and share the basics of life together. Then serve others. Serve others with love and compassion just want to share a little story. Serving can so often come across as charity, and it makes people feel awkward. And I think a lot of us have learned how to serve each other as neighbors in, in some ways, and that's great. But I remember the same neighbor, Emily, when her husband passed away, I said, hey, can I shovel your driveway for you? She said, no, no, I can do it myself. And I thought, oh, man, that's weird. You know, she didn't want to feel beholden. And so the next week, I went back, and I said, I remember seeing that your husband had just bought a brand new snowblower. Could I borrow that to do my driveway and in exchange I'll do yours as well? She said, sure, no problem. Ever gone out with a couple of old uncles who fight over who's going to pay the bill? Sometimes it's generosity, but 
quite often it's just a power play of who's in charge and who's one up on the other. We really have to be careful that as we serve people, we aren't doing it out of a sense of duty, out of a sense of superiority, that we allow others to serve us and that we serve with genuine hearts of love as well. We have great neighbors where we live right behind us. Uh, Glenn and Meredith, I actually talked to Glenn about this sermon. Um, some weeks ago I came home, he said, oh, did you just come home from church? I said, yeah. He says, were you speaking? I said, no, I speak sometimes. Actually this summer I'll be speaking on love your neighbor and I'll be speaking about you. And he says, why? I said, well, I'll love your neighbor. I'll say, my neighbor's Glenn. He says, do you want me to come as a sermon illustration? <laughs> he didn't come today, but... <laughs> but Glenn and Meredith are fantastic. Just going back to eating, we were sitting outside during the pandemic. Our, the kids were playing on the lawn, and all of a sudden Meredith said, oh, man, it's Saturday night. I haven't thought about what we're going to have for food. I've got to ask Glenn what we're going to feed the kids. I said, I just brought home Indian food. And she said, oh, I haven't had anything with flavor for so long. I said, look, I've got plenty. Why don't I share it with you? She said, the kids won't like it. We'll make them chicken nuggets. We made the in-laws pizza. And then I just shared the Indian food with them. They ate it in their house and we ate it in ours because of the pandemic, but it was great. We talked about it afterwards and then two weeks later, Glenn brought roti, let me know, hey, tonight's my night to bring dinner. And so we've started exchanging meals and look forward to the day that we can actually share them together. Serving and then sharing your story. So often at church we learn about sharing the gospel. And there's a time and place for that, but I often say to our team more times than they care to hear, that truth is born into the cradle of relationship. When there's no relationship, it's very whole, hard for truth to take hold. And so relationship becomes the basis in which the gospel is shared. And most often the gospel is an answer to a question. But there are many times when you can share your story, and that's what we're told to be, to be witnesses of what God has done. I can get into a religious debate about Christianity or about other things and have all kinds of arguments with people that will leave us both feeling bad but I've yet to share my story of how God took me with my learning handicap and my sense of not being good enough or smart enough and not measuring up, and I found acceptance and purpose in Christ, and it changed my life, and I've never had anyone say, no, it didn't. No one has ever argued with my story. Story isn't an argument. A story is sharing what God has done for you, and we need to start with that. I say the time will come where we need to give an answer when people ask a question. There was a wonderful prayer warrior in my church that I grew up in in Westdale. It was a German church. She was a German lady, lived at home, cared for her invalid husband. That was all her life, just caring for her husband who had grown very sick. And after 40 years of living in the neighborhood, her neighbor said to her, where do you find the strength to do what you do? I've been watching you. And in her broken English, she said, it comes from Jesus. He helps me every day. And the lady said, I would love to know that kind of strength. And so the lady from our church left our church and took her neighbor to an English church in the neighborhood for one year until that neighbor became comfortable in a faith community and found Christ. And then she came back to her own church. What a beautiful picture 
What a beautiful picture of loving your neighbor and living in such a way that the gospel becomes a good news answer to the questions in people's lives. There was a lady in our small group and I asked her how she came to faith. And she said, well, it happened on the school playground. I was always standing there waiting for my son and I got to know the lady and this lady was in our small group too. And she said, and she was so weird. One day I came to school and was waiting to pick and I said, oh, I wonder how he did, he had a cold. And my friend said, I'll pray for your son. And I thought, what a weirdo. He's just got germs, you know? Like, pray for a cold, how weird is that? But they kept meeting at the schoolyard, waiting for the kids, built a friendship. And she said, and then eventually my life took a bad turn and I was facing divorce. And I said to this lady, I've got something you can pray for, something that's going on in my life. And and that's when she led me to find that same relationship with God that she had. We have the privilege of sharing our story with those around us. As I listened to Pastor Lee's message last week, something jumped out at me. And I had started preparing this message and then my takeaway for you was gonna be, you know, think of your neighbors and pray for them. And as I looked at the story again, I was struck by the teacher of the law and what he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Remind me of the rich young ruler, what must I do to be saved? And that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But imagine you're sitting on the deck of the Titanic when it's listing and it's going down and someone in a nice suit with a bag full of money comes up to you and say, hey, what must I do to be saved? How do I get on one of those boats? You'd think, what a jerk. What an idiot. You see, when loving God and loving our neighbors becomes a selfish thing of what must I do to be saved, we've missed the boat, whether it's sinking or not. Jesus said, if you want to save your life, you must lose it. You know, the story wasn't, here's one more set of things that you need to do so that you can be saved. It's you need to lose yourself in the love of God and allow yourself to become the love of God to those around you. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as much as your own life. Wow, how do you do that? Think of how much time you spend loving God coming to church, going to Bible studies, doing your devotions. Do you spend as much time loving your neighbor? It's a weird question, eh? I remember I stayed with a family when I was a young intern in Winnipeg. I said, how do your neighbors know you're Christian? Well, they see us put on our suit and go to church every Sunday morning, they know. I say, they just know you're weird. <laughs> they don't know anything yet. <laughs> Why would you wear a suit and get in your car and drive away? How much time do we spend with our neighbors? Do we love them enough to, as the story says, to incur financial hardship, to put ourselves in danger, to risk our religious purity for the sake of being with our neighbors? Those were all the things that the Samaritan man did. He was willing to touch someone that was unclean. 
He was putting himself at great risk. There was obviously robbers around. It cost him time and money. It was a selfless act. He wasn't the teacher of the law saying, what must I to be saved? He was saying, how can I save others? Would you lend money to your neighbor? Wow, there's a touchy subject, eh? <laughs> was in Canada, don't talk about money, sex, politics, or religion. That way you'll be good neighbors. What if it went beyond that? And you actually did talk about those topics with your neighbors because you love them so much. What mother wouldn't give up her life to save her child? We have a saying, to go to hell and back for someone. You know where that comes from? For God so loved the world that first he moved into the neighborhood, dwelt among us, and then he went to hell for us. Praise God he came back. I thought, when that thought came to my mind, I thought, that's just so stupidly radical. And then last night I was talking about it, and Jamie Wang said to me, he says, that's not radical. He says, that's what Paul says, Romans 9. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people. There's a man who would rather go to hell to see his people saved. I just realized as that came to me that I can't love my neighbor that way unless God transforms my heart. I said I began with pray for your neighbors and I ended up with pray for myself. Pray that I would encounter God in such a powerful way that his love would overwhelm me to the point where my life didn't matter to me and that I would so overflow with his love that I would be a blessing to those around me. As we end today, I'm going to ask you to take a few moments to pray. Allow God to bring neighbors to your mind, but also pray for yourself. To lose your life in God, to have his love become the reality in your life to the point where you love your neighbor more than your life itself. Let's pray. Lord God, I come to you. I just confess that so often even my love for you is out of selfish reasons. And Lord, my neighbors are often just merit badges or stumbling blocks to my righteousness. Father, forgive me. Change my heart, O oh God. Make it ever new. May your spirit fill me that the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, patience, kindness, might become the reality, not out of duty, 
but out of the presence of God in my life, that others might be blessed and have the privilege of knowing you, that they might be saved as well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.